And today we are kicking off a new series. We just wrapped up our Back in Rhythm series, which I, I believe was helpful to many of you guys. I know that just even preparing it and studying it was so helpful and beneficial to me. But we're kicking off a new series that, that's called Big Church. And we're going to be studying the, the development of the church in the book of Acts, which is, you know, right there at the beginning. But I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of church. Maybe some of the, the thoughts are, are good, but maybe it's not even just thoughts, but maybe it's feelings. I wonder what you feel when you think of church. Many people in our culture, they have very negative feelings because of past experiences. Some of us might have really good feelings. Some of us work in churches and have worked and volunteered in churches for years. And so we ha all have this different mix of things that comes to mind. Some of us think of buildings and rows and pews and robes and hymnals and bands and liturgy. Um, and there's lots of things that come together. But what we're going to be looking at is the fact that the church is a simp was simply a gathering of people who came together around this one belief, that Jesus was the risen Christ, the Son of the living God. And that what we're going to see in, in the early church is that this was all that they had and that it, it was enough. This one simple truth, that Jesus was the risen Christ. And and. The way that the church started, it started in a big way. But before we really even dive into the story of what happened, I want to just go into a little bit of history. Um, and we're going to, you know, get a little bit deep today. And I also just want to say that this, this series that we're going to be on is from North Point Church. I believe in drinking from deep wells and I have no problem stealing wisdom and, and insight that is helpful for me and helpful for my other people from stealing from other people and bringing it here. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that this is from North Point Community Church in, in Georgia. Uh, but the, the Greek term for, for church is ecclesia. And ecclesia, okay, that, that, that's a Greek word. It doesn't necessarily mean much to us. But every time that we see church in Scripture, the Greek word is ecclesia. But if you go to the direct translation of what that means, it means a gathering or an assembly of people. But the English term church, it actually comes from the church, what we have in our Bibles where it says church, everywhere that it says ecclesia, that term church actually is a, a word of German origin. And, and the word comes from the, the German word kirch, which I'm not even saying that closely to the way you're supposed to in German. I can't like make those guttural sounds the way they do, but it comes from the word kirch, which has this emphasis of the Lord's house. And there was something that happened in history that when, when they were translating Scripture and when they were explaining it to the local churches, this bad translation, it actually created some really bad theology. Because it took this concept of the church being a gathering, an assembly of people, to, to something that was connected to a location. And the whole concept of being part of the church was no longer just being part of this people who gathered together, but it was this concept of, I belong to this house, this house of the Lord, this building. But then the buildings were controlled by specific people. And those specific people didn't just control the building, they controlled the information, because at this day and age, the, the, the scriptures were still in their original languages, and they were not allowed to be translated to the common language. And so what ended up in history is this, this bad translation led to bad theology, which led to some incredibly horrible times that are connected to the life of the church. When you think of the dark ages and these times where the church had influence o over the politics and the terrible things that happened, and, and there was men who I would, I would very straightforward say, I don't believe that, that most of these men during those ages actually 
knew Christ, but they were in these positions of power within the church, which gave them positions of power in their city to do these horribly unspeakable things. And so because it, it was taken from this decentralized model of, of all of us being followers of Christ who are equally moving in this same direction as part of this movement to the, this concept of a church that was in a one specific location led by one specific person who was the only person who could read the scriptures for what it said and then they gave the congregation all of the information the congregation had no ability to read it for themselves and it led to this really dangerous place. And so in our history of seeing what happened, it, you know, since the early church went, you know, went further along in time, we, we got to this place where this concept of church, as it was given to us, has changed dramatically. And this concept of the church being centralized and not just a congregation, in the 16th century, there was a scholar named William Tyndale. And I actually have a picture of him. We'll, we'll see if we can get him to smile for you. Uh, no, he, he won't smile for you. All the old pictures, they, they look this way. They have this frown. But when you study the life of William Tyndale, you'll understand why he's not smiling because there's a lot of difficult things that he walked through. William Tyndale is responsible for, he's called the father of the English Bible. And he translated and published the, the Bible in English from the original Greek and the Hebrew text. And this was scandalous because he was taking the power away from the, the, the current church leaders of the day. And he, one of the things that he's known for saying to the bishops of the Church of England who wanted to keep the scriptures out of the hands of the common people, he said, if God spares my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to, more, to know more of the scriptures than thou dost. When you say that to a group of bishops in this time period, that is almost a death sentence. But he had this passion of saying the people needed to know what Scripture said for themselves because he accused the bishops, rightfully so, that they were abusing their power, that they were manipulating the Scriptures to control other people. And so he risked his life to begin translating Scripture into the English language, and in 1524 he had to flee from England to Germany where the first version of the New Testament was published and then smuggled into England. Tyndale continued translating the Bible until a friend betrayed him and then he was hung and his body burned for what they called heresy of translating the Bible into the common language. One of the things that drove the church leaders of his day crazy was that when he translated Ecclesia in his New Testament, he translated it as congregation rather than church, moving the focus from the building to the people. And this was greatly disturbing to the leaders of that day. And you know what? Tyndale, he was right. Last week during our message, we, we talked about the importance of being established in a church, about how we have to have roots that, that grow down so that our branches can grow high. And it's absolutely true, but I want to clarify of what the church is. It's not about having great connections in this building, but it's about having great roots and connections amongst the people who worship here. The church, it's not these chairs or these walls or this school. The church is the people who gather here together. And the roots that we need to grow deep, to grow in our faith, are roots that connect us and hold us up to each other. We're going we're gonna to start in Matthew 16, where we find one of the first references to the church in the New Testament. And Jesus asked his disciples, 
who people were saying that he was. What was the word on the street? And so, you know, we're, we're going to pick up in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18, which we'll project here on the screen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, now, in this, when Jesus says, and I will, upon this rock, this statement, he's talking about the faith of Peter, the statement Peter said, where Peter said, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, and he said, upon this rock, I will build my church, but once again, the word there isn't church in regards to the Lord's house or in regards to a building, the, the word there is my gathering, my gathering of people. Jesus' plan to change the world wasn't to establish a different institutions in each town that had a building and had seats and a place to meet and had leadership and a budget. That wasn't Jesus' plan to change the world. His plan to change the world was to change people who would gather together and worship and love and serve in their cities. And when we read that, we read church, and, and you know, it's true that we are, are the church, but there's some ideas that I think we connect to that where we see more of this building and this place than we do the other people in our city that we have to have these connections to. Jesus believed that he would change the world with a gathering of people. And the commonality that this gathering had were there were people who said and believed the statement that Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the anointed one, you are the Son of God. And as each one of you sit here, I, I hope that you can dial back to the day, to the time. I know that for most of us, we, we can remember the instance where our heart first believed. Where we made a statement like what Peter did when Jesus was asking, who do you say I am? Where we said, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you died for my sins. And there's this moment where, where it's not, there's nothing magic in the words that we say, but there's something important that the words match up with what's in our heart. And we become part of the family of God. We become part of the gathering. We become part of the church, not the building, but the people. And I hope that you can dial back to that because when you have that memory, first of all, you know with confidence from what Scripture teaches that you are His forever, that you are forever loved by Him, that He has a plan for you. And that too, if you can remember back to that, that time where you made that decision, then you can probably remember how much it has changed your life. And there should be a natural push from God on you of saying this same life change that you've experienced you have to want that for your neighbors. You have to want that for your kids. You have to want that for your family. You have to want that for, for everyone that you see because there's no greater joy than knowing that you're in a right relationship with your heavenly father. And on that statement, Christ is going to build his church, his gathering of people. And in, in your translation, it might say, in the gates of hell not, will not prevail against it. Others will say, in, in the gates of death or death will not proclaim against it or will not have victory over it. 
And, and this is an amazing statement that I don't want us to pass over quickly because it's not just that, that it's not about us losing our salvation, but it's this movement that he's established. That even death, even death of the apostles in the generation that Jesus was speaking to, that even the gates of death, even the work of hell, the powers of hell, they will not prevail and stop this gathering. Even four generations deep. And this is good news for us, that this truth, this statement, that death can never have victory over the assembly and this movement that Christ has started. The powers of hell have no power to stop it. And so generation after generation, even when we go through these dark ages, these times where William Tyndale was living and he was fighting against the leaders of the so-called church to, to put the word of God into people's hands, even amongst a corrupt generation of church leaders, even that could not take down the movement that Christ began. Because through every generation, there has been Jesuits, there have been church planters, there have been missionaries, there have been people who have been committed to the truth of Jesus' teaching, even when they had to fight against the leaders who held the authority in the church of that day. And this is a great promise, because when you look through church history, and you see places where there was corruption, Jesus' promise was, no matter what comes, no matter what powers of hell seize the church, or seize the earth, or have affected your life, there is nothing that can take down this assembly that I have created. The power of hell cannot prevail against what Christ did in his life and his death and his resurrection. Death won't be able to stop Christ's gathering of people. And, and he made this promise just a few weeks before he would then go to the cross and die. And, and after his death, what scripture tells us is that he was with his followers for 40 days after his death on the cross. For 40 days he was with them and they saw him, and then after that there is a gap of 17 days where, where we see and we pick up in Acts, which we're going to be really studying the book of Acts over the next four to five weeks. And in Acts 1-6, we're going to pick up pieces of this together and we'll project um, this on the screen. Starting in verse 6, it says, So when... So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And I'm going to pause just there be before I start reading. I just want to, they, they heard about the church, the gathering, but they didn't understand. And they were waiting for a new kingdom. They were thinking about themselves, that God was going to restore uh, rule, rule over their own city to themselves. And so Christ was still helping them understand the difference of what this calling was going to be for them. And it says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, as they hear this, they probably heard, oh, we're going to get power, and that's awesome. That's an awesome promise. Everybody loves to have power, but the power he gave them, what was it for? It was to, to be witnesses, to, to be people who spoke about what Christ has done, to speak about this gathering that Christ has started based on this truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one who died on the cross to pay for our sins. And then there was this connected, this geographic piece, and you're going to go to Jerusalem. And they would have heard that and said, okay, yeah, I'll go to Jerusalem. I love Jerusalem. It's a great city. 
and you'll go to Judea. Okay, that's a little further out. I've got some cousins out there. I can picture going there. And then Samaria. But wait, we hate Samaria. We don't want to go there. And even to the ends of the earth. In their mind, they were only picturing the Roman world. They had no clue about what the ends of the earth even really meant yet. And their whole concept, if you think back to the question that they had for Jesus at the beginning of his statement was, when will we have rule and power over our own city? And his response to them was, being part of this gathering means that we're not just concerned about their own city, but I'm going to give you power to make a difference in your city and in your region and in the places that you wouldn't think you'd even want to go and even beyond that to places that you've never heard of. And so when we think of the church, I want us to just begin to see the picture that Jesus painted of this is the purpose, this is the reason that the church exists. It's not to have rule over one city. It's not to have a building that is ours, that we own, that we really love. But it's to be part of this movement, this gathering of people who, who is set to just go and do what Christ has called us to do, not just in our place of worship, but throughout our city, throughout our region, throughout the ends of the earth. <coughs> We have a calling to make a difference everywhere we go. And William T Tyndale, he has this quote, that the church is the, is the one institution that exists solely for those outside of it. The church is the one institution that exists solely for those outside of it. This gathering of people, we gather together, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of great benefits to being part of a church. You have people who will hold you up through the storms of life. You, you have people who will speak encouragement to you. You have people who will help you when you're down and encourage you and rejoice with you when you rejoice. There's lots of benefits to going. But we don't just exist here for each other. We exist in our city and to make a difference to people who are far from God. We exist in our city to, to make an impact, not just on people in our city, but people who, who live across the, the, the other side of Florida to people who live across the different side of the world. When, when they went back to Jerusalem and they were waiting, the disciples, when they were waiting for two weeks, Luke, who researched all of this, he tells us that it was the apostles and some women, including Mary and the brothers of Jesus, that on the day of Pentecost, would, there was a Jewish feast in the city that would have been full of Jews and converts from all over the world. So, so Jesus w was speaking to them and said, you know, wait until you receive my spirit and you'll have power. And so they were waiting, and, and, and they were waiting, and then the day of Pentecost happened. And there's people from all over the, the region that had come in. There's, Luke lists 14 different groups of people that were there. And, and the Spirit of God fell on them and began to act. And then this crazy sign happened. When they were speaking, they began to, to speak, and people who spoke different languages all understood them. Because the people that were there in the room, they weren't just Hebrew people. They were Gentile converts to, to Judaism who were coming to worship. And so they all spoke different languages, and they're there, and, and they're hearing the disciples speak, and, and they're hearing them all in their own languages. And this, this is just an interesting thing, because when we look at the, the, the disciples' mindset of, this is about us, this is about our city, about restoring our control to ourselves, even in the very first thing that happened on the you know, grand opening of the church, day one of the church, when the Spirit of God came to them, it was about reaching all these different people who spoke different languages and were there from different regions and, and nations. And so they're there, and, and the Spirit of God has fallen, and then Peter 
stood up and he preached what's recorded as probably the first sermon in the history of the church after Christ's resurrection. And we're going to look at some pieces of his sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And it says, People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you all well know. But God knew what would happen, and, he pre- and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. I mean, this got a little bit personal. Think to the fact that this was a real person preaching to a large, real crowd, and he says, and you guys did this, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you see and hear today. Now, as he was speaking this, and it continues on into verse 36, I don't know if we have verse 36 up there, but verse 36 There we go. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. This promise is to you and to your children and all to to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And we're going to pause there. Because he's preaching this message and there's a few things that are worth noting in this. One, the people he's preaching to, they have been in the city, and many of them were in the crowds when Jesus was teaching. Many in those crowds were there yelling when Jesus was before Pilate, and Pilate said, who do you want released, Barabbas or Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews? And they yelled for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. Many were there and saw him crucified and dead. They could have taken you to the tomb where he was laid. The men in this crowd, they would have known the happenings, and many of them were there for some of the miracles that Jesus did. And so as Peter is preaching this, and he's saying, you were there, you were part of it, you saw the signs, you know this is true. They could have answered back and said, no, it's not true. But they were there, they saw it. And so when he said these things, what Scripture says is they were cut to the heart. And I wonder if you've had that experience too, that during a time where God's speaking to you where you know he's just striking your heart on that message. And he asked them, and and, and the crowd asked, and and there was something in their heart that said they have to respond. What do we need to do to fix this? And so they asked Peter, what then should we do? And so Peter answered them, and and he said, you guys must go to church every single week. (laughs) No, that, that wasn't the answer that, that Peter gave. That wasn't the solution to, to what they needed to do. Peter replied, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then on that opening day, they added about 3,000 to their number. Now, I, I've had plenty of people tell me, Paul, I don't like a, a big church. Um, well, then you wouldn't have liked the opening day of the church. And you also probably wouldn't like heaven because there's going to be a lot of people there. Our heartbeat has to be for people. Our heartbeat has to be to help people repent of their sins and turn to God. 
Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And Peter said, and this is a promise for all of you who are far away. This promise is to you, your children, and those who are far away. Those who are far away from God spiritually because of sin. Those who are far away from God chronologically. This promise is for you and me. This wasn't a limited time deal. But it's a decision that each one of us has to have made in our life. And it's a decision that we want to share with the people in our city. Because the way that we change our city, it's not about how many people we get in here. And I want to say it like this, and this is the second quote that I'm going to share with you guys today. We won't change our city by filling a building with people. But when our people are filled with the Spirit of God, we will change our city. My goal isn't just for you to be here and help fill a building. My goal is that your heart would be completely surrendered to God in a way said, whatever you want for me is what I want for me. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Whatever you ask me to give up, I will give up. Whatever you ask me to start, I will start. And when our church is filled with men and women who submit their lives to God in that way, that's when we're going to see change happen in the city. And we want to be invitational, and, and we want the seats of this house to be filled, not because we want a number, but because we want people to have the opportunity to respond to that same thing that you have responded to or need to respond to today. We want people to have the opportunity to be reunited with a God who loves them desperately. But for us to be the type of church that makes an impact on the city, we have to understand that we're not just a church, a building, a place, a place that we go to and we check in and out of. We have to understand that we're part of a movement. We're part of a gathering of people. And what I love here isn't the decor or the lights or even the music, but what I love here is the people who get up here in Aspen. She sings her heart out and she shares her struggles and her joys. And, and the, the people who greet me when I come in, I, I know that some of them are sick and they're scared, but they're here at church welcoming, serving, and loving God and loving me. And, and my connections are to all of these people and my commitment is to them and to the Lord. And so we're gonna be a community who does the things that Jesus asks us to do. And as we do that, we will see spiritual fruit in our life and in our city. Church. The question's often, what do you think of when you think of church? But I guess this is my question. Who do you think of when you think of church? If this is your church, what people here are yours? What people here do you love, do you pray for, do you have connections with? Because for our roots to grow deep, it's not about growing deep into these walls. It's about growing deep into the hearts of the other people here. So church, the, the, the challenge is, is simple. Is, you know, I guess there's kind of two parts to it. Is one, I want us to just think about church differently. I don't want to ask what the church is like. I want to ask who it is, who it's like, um, who do I love there? And if right now you'd say, man, I only know one or, one or two people, we're, we're getting ready to s- start small groups in the next uh, couple weeks, and we're looking for small group leaders, and there's a sign-up form where you can get connected to get the information when small groups are happening. Small groups are a great way to get connected to other people. Serving is a great way to get connected to other people. The church is the gathering. Do you know the people that you gather here with? Let's pray.
Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity for our roots to grow deep, to hold each other securely through the struggles and the challenges. I thank you that that you died on the cross for our sins and that anyone who places their faith in you can know with certainty that they have been forgiven of their sins and that you will welcome them into heaven one day. And Father, as we walk with, with confidence that we are yours, help us to walk in love and share that love with everyone that we meet, the people we interact with at school and at work and through our daily lives. And help us to open up our lives to the people around us at church so that we can encourage them and be encouraged by them and make a difference in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.